this, uh, this last week, my kids went back to school, which is kind of worth celebrating right there, right? You know, it's just, parents, you get it. Um, and so the last week of summer, we tried to spend a little bit extra time with them, hanging out with them, all that stuff. And, and one of the things that my kids were most proud of this summer uh, is that they learned the fruits of the Spirit. Now, if you have kids in our program, you probably know that all summer long they were learning the fruits of the Spirit. And so my kids were repeating it because they're incredibly blessed. They get to be here for three services every weekend. Yeah, I know. I know. They don't see it as a blessing. It's weird. Um, and so they were learning it all, uh, all the fruits of the Spirit throughout the summer, and they were trying to teach them to me, and it was very cute. And, and uh, one of the, w- during one of the weeks, my son, uh, middle son, was having a breakdown, and he was throwing a, just a major fit, which is not uncommon for him. And, and so we said, hey, buddy, um, you're not showing one of the fruits of the Spirit right now, you know, because you know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, and you don't have much self in, self-control. And he said, well, Dad, we haven't learned that one yet, so... <laughs> I'm going to do me, you know? <laughs> I said, I get it. I get it, son. Uh, but here's what I love about kids. It's not just my own kids, but just kids in general is uh, kids just keep it real. They keep it 100. They're not going to shine you on. They're not going to sugarcoat it. It's just they are who they are, and they're going to say it like they see it. And I think that that's not only why I really enjoy being around little kids. They're just so fun, and I love my, oh, I just, they're great. But Jesus um, used them as an example and an illustration all the time. And there's a few different reasons, and we're going to dive into some of those reasons in a moment. But if you were not here last week, we started a new series called Savage Sayings. Savage Sayings is just about the the hard things, the difficult things, the confusing things that Jesus said, and we're going to kind of wrestle with those. And so they might be difficult because you don't really understand what they mean. So, you know, some of the things that come to mind is where Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you're like, okay, vampire religion, all right, that's strange, but okay. Uh, There's other ones where... He talks about you need to hate your mother and father, brothers, sister, sons, and daughters if you want to follow me. And you're like, why, why would I want to hate them? I thought you were about love. I'm confused. He talks about picking up your cross if you want. It's like dying to yourself. Um, he, he talks about um, not to be afraid of those who have the ability to, to kill you. And you go, okay, well, that's affirming. He says, what you should really be afraid of is the one that can not only kill your body, but throw your soul into hell. And you're like, not as inspirational, all right? And those are kind of the, I guess, the the ones that, as you're reading through the scriptures, might kind of pop out at you. But I like those ones, okay? I think those are interesting because when someone makes this bold claim, like Jesus does, I like to sit there and wrestle with it. And I'm really into, you know, theology and philosophy. And so I'm like, okay, what did he mean here? You know, what's the theology behind this? And I can wrestle with it and I can study it and I can kind of try to figure it out. And I've realized that the reason why I like those hard sayings is because I'm still in control. It's about me figuring it out, right? Once I figured it out, then it's done. I don't really have to do anything after that. The ones that are really difficult for me and maybe for you as well are the ones that on the surface, they're kind of innocuous and they don't seem like they're really pushing you towards anything. But as you dig a little bit deeper, you realize, oh, he's trying to get in my kitchen, like, he's really trying to, to force me to put my money where my mouth is, for me to live this thing out. This is going to take actual change that, uh, that I'm going to have to pursue. And so those are, that's the one I want to kind of look at today, is one that if you read it, it wouldn't feel like a big deal. But I think underneath the surface, what he's saying is, is pretty challenging. And so the, uh, we're going to be in uh, the book of Matthew, and if you have your Bibles or Bible app, you can jump in there with me. Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 1, here's what it says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
So, you know, give you a little theology background here, big picture, is Jesus arrives on the scene and he is constantly talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. First message he preaches and preaches throughout the gospel is, um, hey, there's this kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and it has arrived with my coming, so everybody better repent. And so the kingdom of God is a big theological concept that you have to at least kind of understand. So here's the bullet points, is when we were created, you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve, Genesis, you find out that we were in perfect relationship with our creator. But because we decided, mm, I think I'm gonna go my own way, I'm gonna do my own thing, I'm gonna be my own boss, we, we have separated ourselves from God, this thing called sin enters into the world, and then death because of sin, and we have been separated from our creator. Now, uh, Along the way, God starts revealing himself to different people, and, and, and he raises up an entire nation, and he says, one day I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to send a Messiah, and he's going to bring the kingdom, my kingdom, back on earth, and we're going to be reconciled. Mankind is going to be reconciled with the Creator. All of creation is going to become new, and it's going to come through this, this Savior, this Messiah. And so Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, the kingdom of God that everybody's been waiting for is here and it's come with me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And the problem is, is that the people, the, the Jews at the time and the disciples who were also Jewish, they were thinking of a kingdom as in like a geopolitical kingdom, because that's really the only kingdoms that the world has known is I'm going to rule over people and land and we're going to have these rules and, and then we're going to have a king and and Jesus, all along the way, is trying to explain to them that that's not how this kingdom's going to work. This kingdom is going to rule over people's hearts and minds. This kingdom is going to, to reconcile all of creation back to the creator. And so this kingdom is going to be completely different. But the disciples don't really get it. So they're always arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They go, look, all right, Jesus, his kingdom, he's king. I get it. But like, I'm still looking at that VP spot thinking, I don't know, I think I could do it. And so they're always wrestling with who's going to be in charge in this kingdom. And Jesus is constantly pushing them back and going, hey, guys, I don't think you're getting it yet. I keep trying to explain to you that this kingdom is totally different than the other kingdoms. Our values are different. In the kingdom of, of the world, it's going to be about power and success and, uh, and, and accumulating. And, and in this kingdom, it's going to be the exact opposite. It's going to be about meekness. It's going to be about sacrifice and humility and generosity and love and and so they're not getting it, so Jesus is going to give us an example. He's going to say, here's what greatness looks like in my kingdom. But something popped out at me when I read this, and I've read this verse, you know, a thousand times. Jesus doesn't, and you would think that he would, he doesn't rebuke the disciples for wanting to be great. He doesn't go, guys, stop trying to pursue greatness. There almost feels like there's something like, ah, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to pursue greatness. Uh, you know, like we maybe wouldn't verbalize it like that, but there's something that makes us feel, at least for me, I've always been like, oh, am I supposed to pursue greatness? Is that even a Christian thing? And I heard a pastor say, well, what's the other option? Are you going to pursue mediocrity? I'm like, I already do that really well. So no, I guess I, guess I don't need to pursue that. What he's going to do is he's not going to say, don't strive to be great because God does want us to be great. He gave us gifts, he gave us resources, he gave us talents, abilities. He wants us to pursue greatness in our lives. But he is going to redefine what greatness is in the kingdom. So, verse 2, here's what he says. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. So, so there's kids hanging out, they're probably listening to Jesus speak, and he goes, hey, kid, come here. Stand right here with my, with my guys here. All right, they're kind of slow, they're not getting this. All right, so you and I, we're going to show them what it means to be great in my kingdom. He says, 
Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he says, okay, you want to be great? Well, you want to enter in the kingdom and you want to be great in the kingdom? Here's what you're going to need to do. You need to become like this child right here. You need to be childlike, have this childlike faith. Now, what he's not saying is you need to be childish. Very big difference, and we're going to explore those differences because we do childish really, really well already. We don't need any help with that. You and I, I don't care who you are, at least from God's perspective, we do childish really, really well. Let, let, let me just explore this for a moment here, okay? I have three young kids. Maybe you have kids, grandkids. At least you're around kids. You know what kids are, okay? Childish is when an adult acts like a child and it has this negative connotation. And so when I think about kids, I think, well, my kids are um, pretty helpless and very dependent on me, especially when they're young. When they're babies, they just are there. That's it. They don't do anything. It's amazing. You just look at them and you go, is this it? All right, I'm going back to work. I don't know. I, tell me when you're grown up. You know, <laughs> like, what do you, what, what do they do all day? Because they're totally helpless. They need carried and fed and changed and clothed. And so this is gross, but whatever, is the big success in our house over the summer was that my son was getting prepared for TK. And one of the qualifications to go into TK is you got to be able to, um, how do I say it? Wipe yourself, okay? I know, it's gross. Whatever, get over it. And, and so that was our goal. And two weeks before school started, he finally figured it out. And this kid could not be more excited. He told everybody about it. You may have even heard already. You're like, oh, yeah, it's old news. I already knew. He told me. You know, he'd just go around like, hey, I can wipe myself. You want to see? It's like, nah, dude, I'm good. Thanks, man. Like, I believe you. And so it took him, think about this. It took him almost five years to figure out how to do that. They're helpless, right? They are totally dependent upon us as parents. And I got to believe that this is what God sees when he looks at us. He looks at us and goes, aw, you just can't help yourself. You know, you just, because like we didn't create ourselves, right? We didn't create the world. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't give ourselves these incredible gifts and resources. And we, we are sustained by him in every single breath. And so we are so dependent on him just to exist. And then when you start talking about the spiritual realm, the scripture tells us that we are dead in our sins, meaning we can do nothing to, to awaken ourselves spiritually, that it is only by his grace that he awakens us and that he saves us. And so not only do we exist and we're totally dependent on him, but any salvation that we may have is also totally dependent upon him. Kids are also undeserving. It's going to sound harsh, but parents will get it. In some sense, kids have totally ruined our lives. Okay? I know that's a bold statement. Let me explain. Is they have taken all of our freedom all of our time, all of our resources, all of our energy, and all they do is consume for most of their life, right? Like, you, they open their mouth, it's just a giant sucking sound. Just a, you know, they're a vacuum all the time. They're a leech. They're a leech, okay? And I know this sounds harsh, but some of you guys even have, you know, I don't know, 20-somethings, and you're like, yeah, we're still waiting, you know? Do something. <laughs> this is, fly, birdie, fly. Um, but if you think about it, just from an objective perspective, like on paper, if this were any other relationship, you would have dropped them like a bad habit a long time ago. They don't contribute anything. They have no power, no resources, no influence. They just take. And so really, they're, they're, on paper, they're a bad deal. They're a really bad relationship. 
And you've got to imagine that's how God looks at us. He goes, look, you're not, you're not adding anything to this. God, for eternity past, the Trinity is in a loving relationship, needs nothing. There was not any point that God thought, you know what? I really need Cody. If only Cody were here. You know what? Let's create Cody because he is going to be the thing that we need. No, God does not need anything. In fact, having us or creating us, just like kids, is it's going to cost us a lot. And so you've got to imagine that God looks at us and he just goes, yeah, I don't need this, but I'm going to do it for you. This is going to be for you. Kids are also um, ungrateful. <sighs> I look at my kids and they walk around like they're little dictators. <laughs> I do not want that for dinner. I want the blue sippy cup. Where are my shoes, peasant? You know, just ordering me around like they're in charge. Off with his head. And so I, I started doing this with my kids, and they're young, so they don't get it, but I find it hilarious, so I still do it, is um, three kids, young kids, any dinner that we have, it does not matter what we have, someone's going to hate it. Someone's going to hate it at the table. And so whoever the person is that hates dinner tonight, um, I will look at them and I will say, the strangest thing happened. I don't know if this is a mistake on my part. I don't know if it got lost, but I didn't get your rent check this month. And they just look at me like, what's a rent check? Like, what is this guy talking about? But my, my, wife, get, my wife gets it, so she's like, <laughs> like, and so I just like, yeah, is that, do you think it's lost? Oh, you don't, you don't pay rent here? Oh, well then, as soon as you start paying rent, you can have an opinion. Until then, you're going to eat it. All right, let's go. Hustle it up. It's bedtime soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't get it. They don't think it's funny, but I get a little laugh inside. And if we look at our lives, and, and this is so true for me, is if I look at all the incredible gifts that I have been given, I, I, could, I could make lists on lists on lists of the blessings that I have in my life, and I know that you could too. And if I look at it, I don't deserve any of it. I did nothing. The best that I can say is I didn't screw it up that bad. That's the best. That's, that's about the extent of what I've played in the uh, part I've played in this is he gave me incredible amounts of gifts and opportunities and resources, and I didn't royally screw it up. I screwed it up, for sure. But I didn't, like, mess it up so bad that um, I wouldn't enjoy it. That's, like, about the extent of what I can claim that I've done, that I deserve. And so there's an incredible amount of gratitude. And lastly, there's um, kids are self-destructive. Is there is no survival instincts in kids. It's amazing. Young kids, you just go... I don't know what happened here. I don't know what, but you, if I left you alone for 10 minutes, it'd be over. It'd be done. You find the sharpest object you can and run directly towards it as quickly as you can. Your best hope for survival is stick with me, right? Okay, hang out with me or mom. That's how you're going to make it. And yet, that is the last thing they want to do. I want to get away from mom and dad. Why? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, so let me give you an example. My sister, younger sister, um, she was the one that was clearly a problem. And <laughs> as, uh, as we were growing up, one of, the, uh, one of the fondest memories I have, and I think I've told this before, is when we were in a department store shopping, and I think she was probably three or four years old, and we're with my mom and my grandma, and we're, you know, looking for clothes or something, and my mom looks back at us, and it's just me, the, the, the favorite child, and my sister's missing. And so she starts looking around, thinking, oh, where is she, you know? And, and you know that sinking feeling? If you've ever had a child that you've misplaced uh, temporarily? 
you get this feeling like, oh God, where did it go? You know, like, and even just 10, 15, 20 seconds feels like an eternity. Well, that starts happening and, and my sister is nowhere to be found. And so not only a couple seconds, but minutes start to go by. Five minutes goes by. And she is losing her mind. I'm over here going, <laughs> only child. Like, this is what I was praying for. You know, <laughs> Lord works in mysterious ways, mom. I don't know. It gets so bad that the entire store is locked. It's shut down. Music is turned off. And everyone in the store is crawling around on their hands and knees going, Chelsea, 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 and she is nowhere. My mom is in the corner losing her mind at this point. I'm walking around like, <laughs> first day of the rest of my life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> anyway, so I'm walking down one of the aisles, and you know the clothes racks, the round ones that are hollow in the center, right? Well, she had crawled under there, and then to make sure that nobody found her, there's a little brace in the middle. She sat on the brace, put her feet up so that nobody could see her feet underneath, so she was totally hidden. And so I walk by, and she goes, Psst, hey, code code. And I look in there, and she's hiding in there. She's like, good hiding spot, huh? I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be great. I think mom needs to beat you now, so if you want to come on out, it's going to be fun. We got to, it's going to be entertaining. So we bring her out there, and you know, she's been grounded ever since. But it's just hilarious. You're only, the only way that you're going to survive is sticking with this person, and that's the last person that you want to be with. What is in it in, the, in us, in humans, that we're constantly self-destructing. It's not just little kids. They're sometimes the most obvious, but all of us do it. We do it relationally. We do it financially. We do it with our health. I know I shouldn't eat that, but what do I do? I'm going to eat it for sure. I, if you've ever said, I'm going to regret this tomorrow, you're in the same boat. Is there is something within all of us that we just make bad choices, we just, we, and we know it. I started watching a new show on TLC called America's Worst Tattoos. <laughs> if you ever doubt that we're self-destructive, just look at that show. It's amazing the tattoos people get. And they're sober when they get it. It's, it's amazing. Um, oh, I got, a, I got a tattoo joke for you real quick. So I told my parents I wanted to get a tattoo, and they weren't excited about it. And they were like, geez, I guess you're an adult. And so finally they said, all right, you can get a tattoo, but just, just do this. Make sure that if you get a tattoo, you get it in a place that doesn't matter. I thought it was a little bit ridiculous I had to drive all the way to Bakersfield to get it, but it's fine. <laughs> That's worth coming for right there, people. A good Bakersfield joke? Come on. Somebody came afterward to, after uh, 9 o'clock when I told that joke, and they're like, what, what's up with Bakersfield? I'm like, are you, you're not from here, are you? They're like, no. Go to Bakersfield and we'll talk. Anyway, sorry if you're from Bakersfield. Um... Wow, I am so far behind right now. Okay. Okay, here's a, let, me, let me just wrap up this, this, kind of, this point. Yes, we are childish, and God looks at us and just probably goes, oh my goodness, what are you guys doing? But here's, here's the interesting thing. I think being a parent is one of the greatest gifts because I get to see how God sees me. And when I look at my kids and all the craziness and all the ridiculous things that they do, I look at them and think, I would do this a thousand times over. <laughs> I love these kids. I would give my life for these kids. It is one of the best things in the world is to be able to be a parent. And is it because they deserve it? No. Is it because they're helpful? No. It's just because I love them. They're my kids. And it's just this undescribable love that you have. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, or you, you kind of you get this. 
And I do believe that this is how God sees us. This is why he calls us his, his kids. It's because he looks at us and he goes, yeah, no, you don't deserve this. Oh, no, you're a mess. Uh, but I love you. Come on, let's go. There's nothing in you or about you that makes you so valuable that God goes, I just, I need them. I need them with me. They go, no, I don't need them, but I really want them. I just love them. They're mine. And it's kind of refreshing to remember, oh, yeah, that's how God sees me. The um, second point is, so we're, we are childish. I think we're clear on that. Um, but Jesus wants us to be childlike. Child, being childlike is, is kind of um, the opposite of being childish. It's being an adult, acting like a child, but in really the, the, pos- the most positive sense. And so when I think about kids, I think about their humility, so, in part, is kids are humble. And what I mean by this is they don't ask, so how much money do you make? Where do you shop? Who do you hang out with? No, their qualifications for friendship is you want to play? We're friends. Let's do it. That's it. If you want to play with me, I want to play with you. That's like my, my son's favorite saying. He says this to me all the time. He goes, I want to do what you want to do. And I go, let's party, dude. Let's go. And he doesn't care if I've had a good day at work, a bad day at work. If things, He's just like, dude, are we playing or are we playing? Like, okay, good. Because they don't keep score like we keep score. They're about, hey, you're a person. I'm a person. That's it. That's all that matters, right? They have this, this humility. They're not worried about all the status and all the things that we are concerned about. And so that's why I tell parents this all the time. I go, your kids don't care how much money you make. They care if you're home at the end of the day, if you're going to play with them. That's it. And so there's this, this humility that kids have. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at in part is he's trying to say, you know, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, you've got to start with humility is you've got to realize that you don't walk in here and think that you're the boss. You don't think that you're a big deal. You walk in here going, I know I don't deserve this, but you love me. I- I'm your kid. And so I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to be a part of what you're doing in the world. The problem is there's something within us that absolutely hates this idea. We hate the idea of thinking that we're not enough, that we can't save ourselves, that we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that we're, we're not somebody, that we have to humble ourselves. You can see this in kids. Kids will tell you, um, if you want to insult a little kid, tell him he's a little kid. They'll go, no, I'm not. I'm a big kid. How dare you? You can't tell me what to do. I'm not saying sorry. There's this, this visceral reaction inside of us that says when we are supposed to be humble, we puff ourselves up. And that is so true of us as adults is it's hard to be humble, but if we want to enter into the kingdom of God, we have to admit, I'm not in charge. I'm not somebody. I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. The, the way that this kind of makes sense in my mind is this last week, we took our kids um, to uh, in a playground, and all the play stuff was uh, surrounded by miniature houses, and all the doors were small. You had to be a little kid to be able to enter, and I thought, that's exactly like the kingdom of God, is if you want to get in, don't come in like you're a big deal. You better get down there and go, this is awesome. I get to come in. This is so cool, you guys. Because I'm not coming in like I'm a big shot. I'm coming in on my knees saying, hey, thanks for letting me play. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. Kids are also confident in who they are. I have uh, my youngest son's about to be two years old. And I would say that his belly is maybe a little, it's, it's about the same size as mine. Definitely smaller than Papa's, but about probably about the same size as mine. <laughs> And he just rocks this thing, dude. His favorite outfit is no outfit. 
And so he'll come in the house, and he will just be pounding bottles, running around. He stumbles, you know, he's playing that baby bongo, just like, view. And he has no shame in his game. He comes out, and it's like, dude, you're confident in that body, okay? Like that, you rock that thing. And it's just, it's hilarious because he's got, he hasn't been beat up like we've been beat up, right? He didn't have the insecurities like we have insecurities. He just walks around going, here's who I am. It's awesome, isn't it? Don't I look good today? It's just slobber and just chunks out of his face. And, and you're like, yeah, you, good for you, man. Kids are confident. They're not concerned about how they look or what people are thinking about them. And I think it's a great example because as we come to understand that we've done nothing to deserve God's love, it's actually freeing. Because we go, he loves me just because he loves me. And so I can walk around with confidence whether I've had a good day or a bad day, whether work is going well or it's not going well, because it's not dependent upon the things that I do. It's really just about the person who loves me. And I'm confident that he loves me, and so I can walk around with confidence. Kids are confident that, that you love them. My kids can be just a disaster. Just, oh gosh, put me through the ringer throughout the day. And they, at the end of the day, they'll go, so like, you want to watch TV or something or what? And I'm like, dude, you just ruined my day. I'm like, that was so earlier, you know, like, we're just, let's just hang, dude. You're like, all right, let's hang, you know, because they're just confident. They know that you're going to be good at the end of the day. Tim Keller says this. He says, if you're a child of God, you don't lose your status if you have a bad week. Oh, man, I'm screwing up right now. God's probably so angry at me. He probably doesn't even want a relationship with me anymore. Is that how you feel with your kids? They have a bad week, and you go, you're not my kid anymore. No. You might feel like that sometimes, but No. You go, dude, you're my kid. I love you. Whatever you do, I'm still going to love you. They're also trusting. Is, um, you have to teach them how to be less trusting, to be more discerning and skeptical. You can't talk to strangers. You can't believe everything that you hear. They haven't been beat up and cynical and, 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 and been broken and had their, their trust broken. They simply believe what you tell them, especially as parents, as they just say, you know what? If you say it, I believe it. And this is exactly what, and this is kind of what I want to make sure I, 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 I get right in front of you, is they want, that God wants to have you trust him like your kids trust you, like your little kids trust you. See, trust was broken when this whole sin thing entered into the world, because at the core of it, it wasn't, oh yeah, they ate this fruit that they weren't supposed to. No, 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 you're not looking at this correctly. The whole thing was, you didn't trust me. That's why it was there, is it was a question. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I want what's best for you? Do you trust that I'm going to take care of you? And then when we disobey God, what we're saying is, I don't trust you. I, I think you're hiding something from me. I think you're keeping something from me. I think I know better than you do. And so God has been trying to rebuild trust with his creation, with, with us, from the very beginning. And then Jesus comes along, and yeah, he has some rules, and he has some guidelines for life, but the question that he asks every single person is, do you trust me? Will you put your trust in me? Will you follow me? Will you believe that I'm going to take care of you and that I've got your best in mind? And that's what really this whole scripture thing is about, is it's a story of God rebuilding trust and us trying to decide, are we going to trust him or are we not? And this last part is, um, I want to do it real quick, is Jesus, he has this interesting way of presenting things. He talks about children, and he finishes with this in Matthew 8, 5, but then he adds something, and I kind of wish he hadn't, but you know, he's savage. That's what he says. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And so he talks about these kids. He goes, you guys are childish, but you need to be childlike. And then, by the way, you see this kid? 
You need to make sure you take care of them. These kids are a gift. And so make sure that you love these children. In fact, this is one of our biggest values here at Seacoast is we love your kids. We love your grandkids. We love the kids in the community. We just want to invite as many kids in as possible because Jesus valued kids. We value kids. Here's some statistics uh, that kind of back this up. 80% of people who come to Christ do so before the age of 18. Those kids matter to God. But not only that, this is when they're going to be most, uh, most accepting or responsive to the gospel. So we love kids. We want your kids to just wake up. I love it when kids pull their parents out of bed to be here, which might be you. There's this little kid, he came up to me the other day, and he goes, this is the choo-choo church. And I said, you're right, buddy. Eventually, I hope it's the Jesus church for you, but we'll take choo-choo church for right now. All right? This, hey, you keep showing up. This is also why we uh, not only put so much time and energy and resources, but we celebrate kids around here. And I brag on our kids. I brag on our kids' department. You know that two weeks ago, we had more kids than we've ever had on this campus in the history of Seacoast. 581 kids walked through those doors. That's amazing. That is, we celebrate that. Okay, now I got to end with the way Jesus ends this. He gets savage. Here's what he says. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay, so, all right, Jesus, what happened there? We were just having a great time. Ooh, we love kids. And then you were like, he kind of did the parent thing. You know, like what I will do when my daughter um, starts dating at 30 is I will, uh, I will greet this this young man, and I will say, thank you, this is great, it's nice to meet you. Come here, let's have a little chat. <laughs> okay, let's have a little chat. I will kill you if you mess with my daughter. I have guns. They're everywhere. I have eyes. Lots of people are watching. You know, like, I will threaten him, and that's okay, because that's what you do, right? Like, Jesus is going, look, I love these kids. You mess with them, you're going to wish you were never born. Now, can I tell you something really funny? I know we're out of time, but I got to tell you something really funny, okay? My dad is going to be so angry that I tell you this right now, which is exactly why I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Every time I read this story, this sermon comes into my mind, and it was my dad's worst and most embarrassing sermon, (laughs) okay? (laughs) I got to find it. I think he destroyed all copies, but... He had this giant flannel graph. Maybe you may have been here. This was years ago. He had a giant flannel graph that was like life-size. And so he was telling the story, and he's doing it with the flannel graph, with these, with these different, like, characters. And so he gets to the kid, and he talks about, um, it would be better for you. And then he gets confused. He's old. He gets confused. And he goes, it would be better for you to wrap a, a millstone around this kid's neck and drown him. And everyone in the audience is going, did he just drown that kid? I think he just drowned a kid. <laughs> After service, I beeline up to her and I go, dude. <laughs> and he didn't know at this point. I go, dude, you drowned the kid. The, you drowned that kid. And he goes, no, I didn't. I know the story. And I go, it's, uh, look, it's on the flannel graph. You can see it right there. And he's just like, <gasps> and all the blood just, just went out of his ears. Just like, no, no. So when you see him, just go like this. Millstone, huh? All right, right on. Right on. He gets so embarrassed every time I share that. He's like, I drowned a kid on there. Like, I can't believe. I'm like, hey, man, it's between you and God. Okay. Where was I at? Oh, yeah, I got to finish. We got to wrap up. All right. Um, So Jesus says, 
Look at these kids. Look at how cute they are. You're kind of like them, both positive and negative. You better take care of these kids. You better make sure that, and this is this point on this last one, is you remove any stumbling block for them to come to me. You better make sure that you do everything you can short of sinning in order to bring these kids to me. And so that's what we value, is we value you, we value you coming into a relationship with Christ, and we value your kids. And so we will do anything we can to make sure that these kids come to know Jesus. And so we will make a commitment that your kids are going to love being here, but it's going to be your job to make sure that they come to know Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for how good you have been to us. And um, we get to have a place like this where we come, we get to wrestle with faith, we get to learn about ourselves and learn about you, and we get to also find a place to raise our kids and for them to come to know you. And so, Lord God, we just thank you. Whether we are empty nesters and we need to invest in the next generation or we're right in the middle of it raising these kids or wherever we're at, Lord God, um, we take that responsibility seriously. And so we thank you for loving us even when we're childish. We pursue childlikeness in our faith, and we are good stewards with these kids. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.